Hello team and welcome to episode 388 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chase Tuning. Chase is the founder of Operation Podcast, host of Everforward Radio, and former Army veteran. After making the decision to join the Army at a young age, Chase expected to serve for 20 years and made it his own personal mission to be deployable and ready to be on the battlefield. Severe injuries led him to retirement after just six years of service and led him down a completely different path in life. Chase's story is a truly fascinating one, and you'll want your notebook ready for this one. In this episode, you can expect to learn the reality of what life is like in the Army when you're battling mental health challenges, what steps Chase took to overcome the traumatic events in his life, along with how you can step into your best self and what real masculinity looks like in 2023. So without further ado, Chase Tuning. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, I'm over here sipping my morning coffee, and I'm sure you're probably having your wind down evening routine getting ready soon. So, uh, cheers from across the pond, man. Pleasure is truly mine. I'm super excited to have you on the show. I have been following your work for a fair while now, but for any of the listeners who are tuning in today who might have not come across yourself before, can you give us a bit of context on who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, right? So, I, I just say short version right now is, you know, I'm, I'm in the podcasting space. Anybody who asks what I do, I say, I'm a podcaster. I'm in the podcasting industry. I'm a full-time podcaster myself. I run a show. I've been doing it for a little over six years now. And I also have a podcast production company where we help people completely you know, edit, monetize, launch all the things in the podcasting space. Um, but I, how I got here was through a lot of other trial and error. I'm someone that I would say used to be in the health and fitness industry. Health and fitness and wellness and taking care of the body and the mind is something that's always going to be a part of me and is pretty much always a through line in a lot of my content and my work. I, I used to do that day in, day out. I, I Before the podcast, or I should say in conjunction with the show Everforward Radio, I ran an online health coaching company. We had about seven other coaches. I had a really amazing piece of technology. We used a, a very progressive uh, and advanced you know, coaching app. I did that for a few years. And then before that, I actually was uh, a clinical health coach. So I worked with doctors in the office day in, day out for years, what we call here in American uh, medicine, concierge medicine. So it was like a membership model. And with that membership came extra perks to your healthcare, such as working with somebody like me and my team of other coaches. You know, we would do exercise physiology testing, weight loss, behavior change, lifestyle management, um, a lot of different things to get people well, keep them well. But more specifically, it, like I said, it was clinical. So we would work to get people off of medication or prevent them from needing medication or just major life changes that needed to happen beyond just taking care of the body. They had more of a medical need. So we would work with them and their doctors hand in hand. And then before that, I was an active duty soldier. I spent six years in the army right after high school uh, during uh, OIF, OEF era here in the US. And so, you know, that definitely was a very physically demanding and active job. And so I, I say that, you know, living an active life has really always just been in my nature, even way before that, growing up in the middle of nowhere. I grew up in the state of Virginia in the middle of the mountains, almost a couple hundred acres. And so I, I always have just ran, I've always moved, I've always played, I, I've always, you know, lived off the land in some capacity. And so taking care of my mind and my body, if I'm not doing it hardcore professionally, is still a part of my life. And then you're always going to kind of hear it from, you know, from something that I'm doing. For sure. I think that component in your life is 
once it's in there, especially from a young age, it really does stick. And it's something that you kind of has a like as more of like a linchpin in other areas of your life as well, like kind of runs through the foundation of everything you do, whether you're into the health and fitness space or not. So I love that. And I'm curious to get an idea of what led you to joining the army. You know, there's been quite a few transitions in your career. So I'm keen to hear what took you there in the first place. Speaking of my small town and what led to my decision to joining the army, I'm actually drinking from a coffee mug here from my hometown. I picked up on a recent trip from Roanoke, Virginia. If anybody can see this video, very, very small, tiny town. And, you know, in that small town, there were a lot of people that I grew up developing a very, very close relationship with. And I grew up surrounded by nothing but love. You know, I had this perfect combination of, I say, nature and nurture. Like we had massive gardens, we lived off the land, and I had a lot of family. And, you know, even though there weren't a lot of people in my town, I had a great tribe, great community. But... Anyone who's from a small town, I'm sure, can relate. There's just that small-mindedness that happens a lot. There's a small-town mentality. Not every person leaves the small town. Many people think that the rest of the world is too scary. Um, what's going to happen to me? I'm not going to make it. And you know, even on the other side of the coin, for a lot of people, the military is kind of the only way out because we need some people need that big, strong push. If I'm not joining the military, if I'm not doing something, you know, kind of wild like that to, to, they, they physically remove me from this town. I don't know if I'll ever leave this town. And so I kind of had all of these things, these influences swirling around me that influenced me. It definitely gave me something to think about, but, but really what got me to, to sign my life away on the dotted line for, you know, I joined for six years right out of the gate was my father. And it wasn't, Hey, Chase, I want you to join the military because he was in the army himself. And then, you know, I kind of connected the dots and I realized that my family had this long lineage of military history. My uncle was in the Marine Corps. My father, my grandfather was in the army during World War II. And basically every generation, every male going all the way back to at least the U.S. Civil War that we can trace back had served in the military. And I thought that was a really, really cool thing. And it was something that I realized, you know, I'm the oldest of three, and I wasn't quite sure what my brother and sister wanted to do. So I decided, you know what, I don't know exactly what I want to be when I grow up yet. I have some ideas, but instead of maybe wasting time and money by pursuing a job or going to college and, you know, it not panning out, you know, I, I, I thought that this legacy aspect of service was pretty damn cool. And so I leaned into my father. He was a great resource for me. He kind of gave me the the shortcut version, you know, of what to expect, how to train for it. And so I prepared for about seven months before I actually shipped out for boot camp. Yeah. And so it was great. And so I kind of followed my father's footsteps and uh, really enjoyed my time in the service. Absolutely would not do anything differently. Mm, yeah, it's an incredible story. And when you got to the end of those six years, did you contemplate continuing or did you know that that stage of your life was done and dusted with sometimes in life we have plans right we plan for something we we execute accordingly we even have a timeline for me that was the case and like i said i joined right after high school so i was actually 17 years old when i left home and i joined the military and i thought okay after 20 years i'll be 37 how old i am now actually which is kind of wild to talk about 20 years that's nothing 20 years in the u.s military you can retire. You've got 
pension, you've got benefits, you've got all this stuff set for life. I thought at 37, that's pretty damn young still. I, I could, you know, I could rest, I could chill, or I could go on to my next career. And so that was going to be my plan. But then about four, four and a half years in, I suffered injuries that ultimately would cut my career short. I was training in a war game tre preparation, getting ready for a deployment actually to Afghanistan. And in that war game training, I tore my hamstring and my L4 and L5 vertebrae wound up just kind of the way I describe it is like my low back went one way and the rest of my back kind of went another way. I was just out in the field for a few days running off of probably four or five hours sleep total. Uh, this was, you know, in extreme conditions in the desert of Texas. I was wearing body armor, had all my weapons, and I was leading this ambush against the fake enemy. We call it the op four, the opposing force. And it was just one of those freak accidents where you, you move you, too fast, too soon, like in, on, in the wrong direction, just so many variables working against you. And so, and that also led to a lot of kind of trauma compounding in my hips. Uh, I was rehabilitating, trying to re rehabilitate too soon to get back on this deployment roster. I was very eager to, to get back to this deployment. And uh, it just turned into way bigger problems, just an excruciating pain every day with my back and my hips. Um, my hamstring was flaring up again, and I was just unable to just load bear all the normal things that a soldier has to wear and things that he has to do, he or she has to do. And ultimately, it turned into needing reconstructive surgery on both my femurs. So not only did I get that cut short, that deployment opportunity was completely removed. I wound up getting pulled from my entire normal unit, transferred to a medical hold unit, where for about the next 15 months, I was basically a patient. I was in the hospital. I was in rehab. I was on bed rest. I had one femur completely removed, reshaped, two pins put in. And then, you know, it's bed rest. It's, it's no weight whatsoever. It's pool therapy. It's rehabilitation for weeks. It took about eight months for me to get to a point to where I could walk again and fully load bear. And then just when I'm like, oh, God, thank God that's over, they go back and they do the other side. So it was just wash, rinse, repeat. And then after that, I absolutely was no longer fit to be a soldier. I'm actually, I was deemed non-deployable. And once that happens in the Army, they kind of have no need for you. And this is, you know, back in 2008, 2009, we were at the height still of OIF and OEF. And that ultimately was the bottom line. You need to be deployable. And if you can't, thank you for your service, move along. So I actually was medically retired at six years. So I just kind of now have to laugh about it. You know, I was an overachiever. Instead of serving 20 years and retiring, I did it in six. I actually got you know, all the normal U.S. military retiree benefits uh, because the nature of my injuries were so severe and my rating at the time was at a level to where, you know, we don't know what your future is going to hold physically. So we broke you. We're going to try to take care of you. Man, that's an intense story. And I love how you've switched the narrative to say that you just completed it with 14 years to spare. I love that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel as if that life was kind of telling you that Chase, this is not for you anymore. We're sending you in a different direction. If you have to make the decision yourself, you're going to continue pursuing this for the next 14 years. And, you know, now you reflect on those 14 years that you've been out of the service and all the things that you've done. Maybe you're thinking, well, if life hadn't done that for me, I would have missed out on these past 14 years of my life and everything I've done with it. Do you feel like that was the direction life was sending you in? I do now. I, I do now. And I, I'll say that I only have felt this way over the last three years, to be honest. The main reason 
the main driving force behind why I was so ambitious to deploy was I was just in the worst mental health state of my life. 2005, my father passed away from a terminal illness called ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known, at least in the US here, as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's an autoimmune disorder. Most cases are terminal. My father had a very severe, very escalated case of it. And like I was sharing earlier, my father was a huge influence on my life. He's the reason why I joined the military during a time of war at such a young age, but yet I felt so secure and safe in my decision. He was my best friend. He was my confidant. He, I mean, him and I had such an incredible relationship growing up. And when he died, I used to say that I also buried a part of myself and I just didn't know how to, to process that. I, I, I was spiraling. I was suffering. I was thousands of miles away from my family. I, I felt such guilt for being away from them during their time of need. And I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. I, I told myself that I don't have time to grieve. I don't have time to, to go through this. Whether it was true or just where my state of belief was, my, my mind was, I felt that if I showed any of this loss, if I actually went through the grieving process and I actually allowed myself to feel I thought it would be viewed as weakness. I thought it would hurt my career. And I, I thought that also, you know, outside of the military, I thought that it's not what I was supposed to do. Being the oldest son, being this, you know, new young man who left the home, you know, I just joined the military, uh, you know, potentially going off to war. I had all these kind of external ideas of masculinity and toughness kind of thrown at me. But in honesty, nobody was really doing that. It's just, you know, our perception at the time, we, 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 we react in a way that we feel the rest of the people around us need to see, right? Uh, when in reality, I'm sure if they really care about us, they would want us to be genuine and real and actually heal, <laughs> I would hope. But for whatever reason, I just, I stuffed it all down. I stuffed it down, I stuffed it down, and it got to a point to where I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I'll never forget, there was this, this moment where I knew that I had an outlet. In the military, every year on your birthday month, you do this thing called the birthday month checklist. It's kind of like life admin. You update insurance, you update this, that, and it's just making sure that all your paperwork, should God forbid anything happen to you, is in order. For the military, for your family, for your banking, for your life, for everything. And at this moment, the Army doubled the life insurance policy from $200,000 to $400,000. And being this young 20-year-old from Roanoke, Virginia, who grew up in a double-wide trailer and never really had a lot of money, and I just... I knew that that amount of money would really benefit my family. So I immediately equated my life's worth to $400,000 and that it was more important to my family than, than me. And so I began to actively pursue deployments. I began to work my ass off to get promoted, to make myself more likely to be deployed. I, I would go through all of these trainings, all these specialty schools, all these extra anything that I could just so that I could, because the nature of my job at the time, I should say, unless I volunteered, it was not very likely that I would be just on my own deployed. I worked in the military intelligence community. I actually was a Russian intelligence specialist, a Russian linguist. And at the time, 
Russia was not the main focus of the U.S. armed forces. We definitely had our missions and did our thing, but you know we were all boots on ground in Iraq, Afghanistan, and the Middle East. And so I was trying to volunteer my services as a soldier and as a, an intelligence specialist over there. And that was really the only way it was going to happen. And so I did all that so that I could increase my chances of not coming home alive, of coming home wrapped in a box in the U.S. flag, coupled with a $400,000 check from my family. And it was never a point to where I, I, I was never suicidal. I never was contemplating taking my own life. But the worth that I placed on my life was becoming less and less and less and less. And I just gave up. I, I just didn't care if I lived or died. And I thought, what a way to go out. You know, this soldier's death potentially out on the battlefield and it's something that I actually am, I'm on the other side of now. And I, I'm very grateful for that plan not working out. Like you were saying earlier, you know, life kind of decided or God or the universe or my father, you know, gave me those injuries to stop that path from happening because I was meant for something different. But it's totally given me a different perspective now as I've worked through it through a lot of different mental health modalities and just personal care and self-reflection that I was so ignorant and selfish and table everything I was saying about my family, then potentially losing another family member. But the nature of how I was planning on going out had a much higher potential of putting someone else's life in danger. You know, if I was going into a battlefield, not caring about my life, every other person in that environment relies on you doing your job to the fullest ability and caring about living because it might make the difference of them coming out alive or dead or not. And so I, I it's something that I've really just been thinking about and very grateful for that not happening because I might have gotten what I wish for, might have gotten what I thought I wished for, but I could have also had the unfortunate deaths or significant injuries on on me for a lot of other people. And that was really put in perspective when I was in that medical hold unit, because I was in this unit with so many other people coming back from where I was trying to go that were missing an arm, a leg, an arm and a leg, both arms, both legs, head to toe, third degree burns. And I, I just quickly had my world shifted back to chase. No, 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 no. You're exactly where you need to be. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, man. What a story. And it's crazy to think of where it could have led you and where you are today. So as you mentioned, at the time, you probably didn't see it as clearly as you would have liked to. But now we look back on it with gratitude and look at it as a privilege more so than anything with the life that you've lived and the life and the years that you have to live in the future as well. So it's huge. And do you think that's a relatively common theme in something like the army or the marines do people end up getting lost in their own mental well-being because of i'll be honest like mental health full stop from men isn't and women to be completely honest but there is this particular thing about men where there isn't any expression of emotion There's, we're definitely getting better but you know i know definitely know i wasn't taught how to express my emotions as a child. I know most people my age we speak to, is, it's the same situation. And obviously a lot of those men end up going into the army where they're in pretty brutal situations where they have the opportunity to make reckless decisions, let's say. So I'm thinking about the type of person who's just in a corporate environment or it's just an environment where, you know, their life is pretty, let's say, mundane and monotonous compared to someone who literally has their life in their fingertips in many, many ways. Do you think that's something that 
runs a common thread for our people who join the army or certain forces like this? I think so. And I can only speak to my experience and I can only speak to my experience during that particular time, especially in US history, but global history as well. I was active duty from 2003 to 2009. That was a very tense period in global history, but damn sure American history. And looking back at my experience in all of my duty stations and all my commanders and all of my peers and subordinates and everybody during that time, it absolutely was a great place to run and hide to not deal with your problems. It was a place and a time that demanded the utmost and high performance, physical performance, mental performance, because quite literally every day could mean life or death. It could mean uncovering something that changes the landscape of the war, that changes how America goes to battle. It could mean, I mean, literally anything at that time. We were on, no joke, like such high alert for everything around the world with the global war on terrorism. No matter your opinion on that time period or no matter your opinion on the U.S.'s stance on it, Look, a nation at war is a nation at war. And I'm not here to say, because I, I can't say for sure, that there was no time, there was no place for mental health. There was no place or conversations around being this modern masculine, being this rough and tough soldier, but also allowing yourself to grieve and talking about emotions and actually going to the mental health ward. Because I would hear other soldiers and even you know some of my leaders talk about you know, we don't go down there. We don't go to this wing of the hospital. And whether it was a rumor or whether it was true, someone who especially was in my state of being, I definitely leaned into the rumors and I stuffed it down. And I thought, I can't go to the psych ward. I can't go to that part of the hospital because if I do, what if someone sees me? What are they going to think of me? And then it's just, you know, a negative spiral from there. So especially during that time, and I, I do keep an ear to the ground with the military. And I have a lot of people that I know that are still in. And I do believe since I've gotten out that that kind of through line has changed and they have at least brought up the ability to prioritize mental health. Um, and they have more outlets for that. Also, you know, as of what, like a year or two years ago now, uh, the global war on terrorism officially ended. We pulled out of Afghanistan, regardless of how you want to view that. I personally think it was a mess, but you know, we have, I think, lowered that threshold, lowered that state of readiness that might now finally allow some breathing room for men and women in the armed services to more freely and safely talk about their their state of being. And I, I do know it's true on the other side, being a civilian. Finally, now the mental health work around veterans, uh, service members is happening in a big, big way. We are really focusing on mental health for them. And, you know, that's something that's been a part of what I'm trying to champion as well. And a lot of my content and a lot of what I share personally and what I share on the podcast uh, is connecting with and sharing my stories of my military service and how I've navigated PTSD and, you know, all the things that I'm doing, just no holds barred. And just, it has been met with just this welcome open arms that I'm so happy for, but also sad because I know this has been a need and a want for many, many years. I would say 
almost the entirety of humanity to a degree, right? I think that well said, it's yeah. been such a great need. And I think the reason why people are bringing it with open arms and desperation to a degree is because of, you know, it's not even at the point of need, it's at the point of like absolute necessity. And it's, as you've mentioned, like we spoke about war being life and death, you know, many people's mental health state is now a position of life or death as well as we know. So I think that people like yourself, you know, conversations we have on this podcast as well, where we openly speak about this, you know, I've seen it transform over the past years. And as you've mentioned, you've seen it as well, which is absolutely incredible. And you touched on two things in the last uh, little bit of which you spoke about, which was modern masculinity. And you also spoke about mental health modalities that helped you process what you were going through and heal your trauma being on the other side of that. And I want to start with those mental health modalities. What type of things worked for you as you process through your father's grief, your deteriorating mental health position, your borderline, if not close to the line, suicidal thoughts as well. How did you get through all that? I've been asked this question before and I, I will gladly share anything and everything that I've worked through. But what I think I wished I would have heard sooner and what I hope someone listening right now hears is I let someone in. The very first thing that I ever did when I, I get very real and objective and I kind of look back and reverse engineer, okay, Chase, you're, you're feeling much better now. Your mental health is in a much better place now. Let's retrace every damn step. I'm talking years. I let someone into my life. I, I let someone actually peek over the wall that I had been building for many, many years. And it radically changed everything. That person for me at the time was my girlfriend, my now wife, but I, I finally, I finally recognized that there's this person that cares so much about me. And I had a lot of those people I had, I had a brother, I had a sister, I had family, I had friends, I had other service members, but what was different for me was I actually care more about them. And, and I recognized that not only is this a barrier between us in our potential relationship. But, you know, if I don't lower this or if I don't let her in, then I could lose her because this, you know, my mental health was a big thing on the table about, you know, what was working and what not working in our relationship. And I first, I made the choice. I made the decision to, for the first time ever, fully let someone else into what I was going through. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I didn't really have a plan. What it looked like at the very first time was just a ball of emotion, was just uncontrollable crying, was just mumblings, was just saying, you know, just knowing that I had this safe container where my head and my heart could just unload. It was just this massive release of energy and emotions, but it was in this safe space with her that I, I felt okay to do so. And, and so that helped immensely. So the first thing I would recommend anyone to do is to really take inventory of the relationships in your life. And I, I feel confident that most people have at least one person that can be this person for them. And if not, here's your opportunity. What I would really challenge you to do is to lean into and develop and nurture very meaningful, safe relationships that can allow you to do this. But I, I think all of us have at least one person. You know, Maybe that's mom. Maybe that's a best friend. Maybe that's someone who, I don't know. But then after that, I actually just realized that I have a lot of stuff inside me that clearly wants to come out. Like I said, when I when I chose to to open up to her, I didn't 
know what was coming out, but things were just coming out, you know, words, emotions, memories, thoughts, fears, hopes. And, and so I then kind of leaned into that for myself. And so I, I got this $3 notebook from the local convenience store. And every day for the next probably like three, four months, I would just brain dump. I wouldn't even call it journaling. Uh, I, I was just, again, just, it was just a stream of consciousness If this is sometimes I didn't even know what I was feeling or what was on my mind. But man, when you put pen to paper, it's just an outlet. It's the mind and the hand know what to do. And so then that showed me a lot of things that were, that were inside of me that I was aware of, that I was unaware of, that I wanted to work on. So those became the first steps to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And so from there, it kind of turned into, I think, what a lot of people do. You go down this personal development route, you know, you begin to get curious, you, you read books, you look up podcasts, you watch videos, you go to seminars, you just start getting interested in a lot of other different things. Um, and I would say what I would recommend, what I did, what I would recommend to anyone is just where do you feel pulled? You know, anything that just that triggers a, like, hmm, like a curiosity that, you know, feels like in alignment with maybe not where you are, but where you want to be. Just lean into it. Anything that pulls you that feels like a, a release or a curiosity, run with it. That's what I did. Do that for a few years. You know, I got back on track with regular mental health help. I would go see a therapist. Um, but then really what got me to what I'd say the culmination of really pushing me over the edge in a good way with my mental health is I went through about almost three years ago now, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Uh, here in the U.S., a federally legal modality for now for mental health and for like stress, anxiety, PTSD, for a lot of people that are kind of at the end of their rope, so to speak, um, is going through ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, plant medicine in some areas. Some clinical studies, you can use MDMA, psilocybin, but federally legal in the United States, you can just go to a therapist, go to a clinic for ketamine therapy. And I did that. And I, I realized that I was going through, you know, for years, I was going through my life with undiagnosed PTSD around the death of my father. And it was still showing up in big, big ways like panic attacks and, you know, nearly crashing my car and just not being able to watch a movie with a death scene and just, you know, really having horrendous flashbacks. And so I, I, I again chose that I wanted to work on this. I chose that I didn't want this to continue to be my life. I chose to really lower this last part of my wall that was, I thought protecting me but it was keeping me from living my life and it was keeping me from establishing and really letting free my true identity, who Chase is, what he thinks, what he wants, how he wants to live his life. And so I went through, I, I went through psychotherapy. I went into multiple sessions with ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And um, I got this incredible new relationship with the death of my father and a way that allowed me to to really move through the grieving process for the first time in a way that I hadn't in you know 18 years now I owe it all to that I quite literally say that it saved my life it gave me my life back three years ago I would not be able to hold this conversation I would not be able to bring him up at all um, but now it, it's just so freeing. And I have this, I've developed this completely different relationship with not only that death, that traumatic event, but, but me and who I was all throughout that. And I am just really at such peace now. I'm at such peace with it. 
And it's something that I continue to work on every day, but I no longer no longer have to work on it while still living and operating out of a place of fear. My entire nervous system is relaxed. You know how you, if you bring up something difficult, a lot of times you get that you get tense, you get you get stressed out, you get that feeling maybe in the back of your throat. You you know your everything gets locked up. Not anymore. You know certain things definitely trigger a, a sadder emotion, but also you know that's okay. I, I've given myself permission now to still feel those things and to not keep them bottled up because I know that there's something still I need to learn or process or else my body would not be expressing itself in that, in that manner. Um, so I know that's a very long winded answer, but I wanted to paint a very real and honest storyline because a lot of times when people are struggling with mental health, regardless of what that is and the severity, we, it's very easy. I think for a lot of us to look things up and go to maybe an extreme you know, like a plant medicine or, or like, you know, therapy or something that costs time, that costs money, uh, maybe isn't of access to you. But I'm here to tell you that there are a lot of things that you can do right here, right now that can, A, provide probably a lot of relief, provide a lot of questions, a lot of answers, but B, can be the stepping stone you need to the next thing. That's the thing with working through traumatic events and trying to get from a poor mental health state to a positive mental health state is that we think we just need to jump to one end of the spectrum. When in reality, we need to allow ourselves the grace and, and the education to start small, to start somewhere safe, because that's the thing about trauma and poor mental health. It lives and breathes and just becomes worse from a place of fear and so if we can let our conscious and subconscious know that we are safe, we are making the conscious choice to work through this, to navigate this, to turn and face it, and to learn how to live with it instead of cramming it into the dark corners of our mind for the rest of our life, there's a lot of stuff that we can do right here, right now. Yeah, it's a huge, huge statement and story that was really, really well narrated. And I think it was important to go to the depths of that story for people to know where it all began and where it eventually led you to. And so I think that I can share a lot of similarities. The same thing for me opened up to that safe space. You know, mine was in the form of a mentor at the time who actually directed me into in, hypnotherapy. And that was my ability. That was my moment, like you said, where it was just a uncontrolled ball of emotions for the first time I was able to let it out. It was someone who I didn't actually know, but who gave me an immense amount of trust in that moment. And that Amazing. was the, yeah, I was able to open up, you know, travel down that journey of, like you said, brain dumping, not necessarily journaling, just writing down my thoughts. I was curious about the path of personal growth as well. So you're pretty much telling a very, very similar story. But however, my journey hasn't led me to psychedelics or anything like that. So I think it's nice to say that, you know, there might be that end of it that needs to be addressed in the form of psychedelics or something along those lines, or you might get to the place that you want or need to be just by going through those practices as well. And like you said, we can't measure the severity of someone's mental health, nor can we dictate the form of recovery and the different things that they'll have to do. So I love that full story as well. And a big thing that we touched on throughout this story is masculinity, how you had an idea of what a man had to be, you know, the compression of emotions, the, you know, stuffing it all away. And then that narrative that you already had was then reinforced by your time in the military as well. It's like, we don't go down to the psych ward. We don't do X, Y, or Z. And I don't know about you, but anytime someone reinforces a narrative that I already believe, I'm like, okay, perfect, perfect. That's just, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like just putting a circle around what I already think. So that was, you know, driven into you and driven into you. But I 
appreciate that you've probably got a different perspective of masculinity now. So my question to you, Chase, is what does the modern man look like to you in your eyes now with all the learnings that you've gone through to get to the stage of where you are today? You know, that's a really important question, really powerful question. And one that's been on my mind for a long time, consciously, but also subconsciously. I want to lean on a reference here, actually, which is just amazing. It's the power of when you when you choose yourself and when you choose to just lean into curiosity and personal development, healing, whatever that looks or feels or sounds like for you, we often don't fully realize what we have when we have it. That's why it requires this constant might be a a harsh word or an unnecessary concept, but frequent reflection uh, and integration. One of the very first pieces of personal development work that I leaned into years ago when I was sharing all my origin story was this book called King Warrior Magician Lover. And it's this breakdown of these four types of the male archetype. You know, we're the king, we're the warrior, we're the magician, we're the lover. And I read it because there was this guy on YouTube, this YouTube fitness channel, one of the first fitness channels I ever started watching. This is probably 2012, 2010, maybe. Elliot Hulse, this guy out of Florida. And he was just this huge, strong man, just, just jacked guy, just, you know, doing crazy fitness stuff. But then he would always talk about the male archetypes, king, warrior, magician, lover. I was like, all right, you know what? This guy, I like his shit. Let me go check out his book. So I read the book. I was like, okay, cool. Check. Did it. I've gone back and read that book multiple times. And now I'm finally at a place to where I I get it. And I I really do connect more with this king archetype now. And so for me, how I want to answer that question is, I think the goal for all men, how I would most holistically kind of define or describe what does it mean to be a modern man Really, there's nothing modern about it. I I think we need to go back to this kind of ancient concept of, you know, a true and just king. The king archetype for me is one that I personally am striving after now consciously. I finally get it. You know, thank you, Elliot. But also, I think it's one that we look back at history, just, you know, what made a good leader? What, What was a good head of a nation, of a household? You know, I think a lot of people argue that, you know, what's the phrase, um, the, the the man might be the head of the household, it might be the king, but the, the woman is the neck. You know, she turns the head whichever way she wants, right? I think that's so true. How I kind of interpret that is that if I'm comfortable with and sitting with and adopting the king archetype, I recognize that I don't need to be any other version of myself. I don't need to be any other version of what I think a man is or is not or what others around me think a man is or is not because I recognize that I embody all of them collectively being at the head of the household, being sitting on your throne, being or adopting this King mentality. Odds are again, going back quite a few centuries, you have been a warrior. You've been on the battlefield. You've trained, you've, you've demanded much of your physical self. You've, you know, you keep a sword on you. you. You have these kind of tactical, physical training attributes, whether that quite literally was being in the military or you train and take care of your body. You know, the warrior mentality is I'm always ready. I'm always ready. And then every other version, you know, you, you've gone through and you've, you've sowed your wild oats. You've, you know, you've been the lover. You've been the jokester. You've, you know, been the person of the night. You've done all these other things. You, you know, you've you've created something for yourself. You are pursuing a higher level in your career. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, you're climbing the ladder. And so when I think we sit down and really think about, all right, I have all these versions inside me. 
I don't need to be just one. And in fact, it's very difficult and short-sighted for me to pick and keep and be only just one. What if I was the one that had them all? And there's a lot of peace in that. And I love that word peace because especially when talking about mental health, I think that's where a lot of us want to be that don't have it and that we're not there. And collectively in my identity and definitely in when I think of masculinity, a king or a man, when he can be at peace, that is everything. You're at peace because you know you know doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or knows. You know what you have done, what you have not done. You know the promises that you make to yourself. You know the promises you break to yourself. You know the relationships around you that matter. You know the relationships that you're going to nurture. You know what honor is. You know what personal integrity is. You know what courage is. You know who you are and who you are not. And there's no need to flex on that. There's no need to, to push that agenda or identity on anyone else. There is peace and freedom waiting for us when we just recognize I have all of these other versions of the masculine in me. And it's just a matter of the right circumstance pulling that out of me. Should I need to dig in my heels? Should I need to be the tip of the spear? Should I need to you know, lead the charge? I have that capability. What I'll kind of summarize here is what I think it's a, uh, I forget the phrase who said it, but it's you know better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in war, right? You know, to, to, to know that you at the drop of a hat could do anything you need to do to take care of yourself and your family, but to be at peace, quite literally just tending to your garden than to be, you know, a, a gardener with a shovel in the middle of a battlefield, you know, we, you know, we have all these different types, but just knowing that we all are them, we all can be them and be at peace with that. Uh, that's, that's how I would define it, describe it. And currently where I'm at. I love it. I really, really love it. And it's just like the fully integrated nail. It's like, there's so much paradox to it in the sense of strength and emotions and the ability to express, which seem not to go hand in hand, but if anything, mm. they go more hand in hand than we ever really realized. And like you mentioned, it's not the fact that that warrior is not ready when he's in the garden. He's perfectly ready. And it might look deceptive to others on the outside if like this guy speaking about his emotions, X, Y, or Z. But then you realize that actually he has far more self-control. And you look at this in movies when you watch things like Gladiator or anything along those lines, you know, it's always that stoic figure. Movie of all time. There we go. It's always that stoic figure who is able to sit with his emotions, to reflect, to contemplate, not make this reaction type decisions that end up leading us into chaos and it looks like weakness it looks like stalling but in many ways is actually reflection and making you know the true move and when that move comes then there's no stopping anyone from seeing it so i, I really like that take and yeah it's, it's fascinating it only looks like weakness i think to outside people uh who are ignorant and, and you know that's not casting shade on anybody else but if you are looking at someone if especially if you know a man to man if you're looking at another man and you know and you're deeming them weak because you don't think they are man enough in a certain capacity, I might challenge you to really look at that person again and to really get to know them, their backstory and, you know, what they do with their free time. And, you know, you might just be extremely ignorant as to their level of readiness in finances, in physical strength, in, in history. One little thing I'll share is that a lot of times on social media, I think right now there's this big push, this big narrative of the like, oh, big modern masculine man. Like if you're not, you know, 
jacked with your shirt off and cold plunging inside of an IR sauna, you know, running through the cold beach and, you know, carrying logs and all this crazy shit, then you're not a real man. What are you doing? You know, not to knock anybody, but, you know, I'm like, I've done all that shit. Like, I'm good. You know, definitely take care of your mind. Everybody's on their own path. But look, a lot of times I get hit up on social media, you know, hey, Chase, real men are doing this. You know, we want to invite you to this, this, you know, high performance weekend, this blah, blah, blah. And, you know, are you, are you ready to take this challenge? And I just kind of, I, I laugh because they're ignorant. They don't know me and my story. So I can't be mean to, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, you know, cast judgment on them. They just are ignorant to my story. And so what I simply share with them is, no, that's okay. Thank you for the invitation. I did this on active duty for six years. I'm good. Like, you know, I, I don't need to be yelled at because I've done that. I don't need to tap into this type A masculinity and prove how strong I am or what I can do and what I can endure because I've done that. And so that usually just shuts them up right away. Uh, but again, you know, they don't know my story. And I think that's that's an, a, a beautiful thing. If I can know that I've already done all these things and I have them still within me, you know, it's it's for nobody else but for myself. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so I think that one big aspect of that is that self-confidence that you have, A, in yourself, from your story, from your experience, and the need not to prove it to anyone because of deep down, you know who you are, you know what you've been through. And then also looking on the outside of other people saying that, you know, if they can't respect that or lean into that, then realistically, that's not the strong trait of a man, because I would say it's an open minded person, you know, someone who respects other people's opinions and is more focused on the growth of them and their community and their tribe versus worrying about what anyone else does. Right. So I think that, yeah, some big points in there as well. And something I do want to transition on quickly whilst I still have you here is relationships. Obviously, you are a married man and I still massively believe in the concept of marriage i actually proposed to my girlfriend just last week um so oh congratulations thank guys. you That's awesome, man. yeah so really excited about that but i'm very keen to get an idea of your take on marriage considering you have been married and you have been with your partner for a very very long time now and where that fits into the masculinity piece as well because of again there's this idea that you know potentially throughout your 20s up into your 30s there's this promiscuous nature there's this you know damblazarian archetype of that's what masculinity is and then there's other people on the other side who are like you know the jordan petersons of the world and everything like that who are saying okay marriage is the thing you know marriage is what you want to be aiming for so where do you find that balance considering you've been in a relationship for a while and have been married as well well i can tell you as someone who's been in a long-term relationship now for over 10 years we've been married almost seven i can tell you it's the greatest thing in the world and it's the greatest thing in the world because it is the most challenging thing in the world. It's this incredible dynamic where something that challenges you also fulfills you in equal capacity. It does take the right partner. It does take the right partner to, to make that happen. But also, we are the right partner for them. So what we're looking for in the right partner on the other side, you know, we are that on the other side to them. And so if we can acknowledge that and not rest on that. Not, I think too many people rest on marriage. They quite literally settle. And I'm not saying marriage isn't compromised. You're daily probably going to be compromising, but you, it shouldn't be a, okay, like I'm good now. I think that's where a lot of people probably do themselves a, a big disservice when they get married or they even think seriously about choosing marriage is that, okay, once I asked this person to marry me, or I said yes to this person marrying me that, okay, then I can just chill. No, that's the biggest 
disservice you could do to yourself in that relationship. It is most challenging for me because I'm with someone that chooses personal growth daily. And that can be scary for the other partner because if you are putting yourself on the path to grow and evolve and just keep pursuing life and keep leaning to the things that are pulling you, that quite possibly might mean one day that, you know, you're not the same person that I signed up for. But we should choose the person that is on the continuous path because that means we're not going to stay the same either. We're not going to be left at this same version of ourselves. And it's not to put anybody down, but I just view that as we are limiting our potential. And so we should want to be with someone that we see that, that they, they have interests, they have hobbies, they, you know, do solo things. One of the things that blows so many people's mind around us, my wife and I, we do trips, not very often, you know, but like she'll, she'll do something on her own. I'll do something on my own. We, you know, have, you know, certain days apart. We just do our own thing. You cannot lose yourself in a relationship. And I think it's probably the second worst thing something someone can do in a relationship or, or especially marriage is, you know, one settle or view this as, okay, I can rest now. But two is you forget yourself and you don't make time for yourself. That's how, you know, we hear 10 years down the road, 20, 30 years down the road, someone just wakes up and they're like, oh my God, what is my life? I'm not this person. Who are they? And, you know, you have all this regret and resentment and pent up aggression. And that's how you hear people just flat out leave someday because I haven't been able to be myself or I'm no longer this person. Marriage is not this coming together and going together forever on the same path. Marriage is coming as close parallel together as I think human beings can. And then continuously running parallel for the rest of your life. Sometimes you're going to, one person's going to go really far out. And if you are that kind of person and you can have that level of communication and, and hold that space and have that trust, that's honestly a beautiful thing. And I've been there on both sides to where one of us is really swinging really far out. Like, Hey, there's some stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that I'm curious about that. I need to go down that I need to navigate that I need to figure out. Okay. I love you. I'm here for you. This is what you need to do. And you have to have that level of communication. I know anybody who's been married, I think longer than a minute will say, just really comes down to communication. But that's been my experience and that's what I would recommend. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world, um, but it should not be a place for you to finally just lay your head and rest and take it easy. If anything, I think it should, it should call you continuously daily to be the best partner that you can be. Because I know, personally speaking, when I do things to lift up and support my partner, my wife, I get it. It's usually just a matter of time in return. But, you know, and then I know she's going to do the same thing for me. While also I'm, I'm on my own path as well. I'm not giving up myself for the sake of anyone. And uh, if you have two people doing that collectively, then, I mean, what I think, wow, what a power couple. Yeah, what a power couple and what potential you can both you know, live up to together, both individually and collectively yeah. as well. I think there's so much to say about that in the sense of seeing two people on 
personal paths of self-development and like you said coming together collectively bringing the best out of each other because of what i found in a relationship with someone who is conscious who is focused on personal growth is that you have nowhere to hide you've got no choice but to level up and like you said otherwise one person's going to go this way and one person's going to go the other way and either you are going to bring yourself together because you're committed to this relationship or you're going to recognize that you know yeah you're not right for that person anymore you know and i see it happen all the time with a lot of my friends as well so that you know they started off having all these similarities and commonalities one takes this path of okay i want better i want more for my life and the other kind of stays in that space Mm -hmm. and like you said it doesn't mean the other person can't hold that space for a while but then there has to be a point in which you say well you know i'm here and you're here and i don't see any signs of progress anymore so what are we doing here because if i'm up here now and it's not to say you're down here and you don't deserve anything it's more to say we just don't align anymore and i think that's the beautiful thing about you know choosing your partner wisely choosing your, your partner with a lot of conscious choice not you know what they look like today but what values they have beneath their beauty beneath their you know, sexiness, handsomeness, whatever you might want to call it. And I think that that's a, a massive, massive thing for a, a lot of men and women, you know, going through relationships and it's definitely been my experience as well. Yeah. You know, one other thing comes to light that I'll say that might, might ruffle some feathers or just people might not agree with. I really do think, especially if you're con- considering marriage or you're just in a long-term partnership, begin to wrap your head around the concept that that person is gone. If you have such true, unbiased love, unconditional love for this other person, I think there's something very freeing and and very oddly empowering to your relationship if you can imagine yourself being okay without them. I think this is something that a lot of us should lean into because this is where a lot of us, and I can speak to this personally, over the years in my relationship, it's been something I've had to navigate uh, of this, you know, I need you versus I want you. And if we're in this state of being of, of, I need this partner in my life, I need this wife, I need this husband, there will come a day, God forbid, it's not, you know, tomorrow, but you know, whether by choice, by accident, by death, by whatever, they're not going to be there. And if you can begin to just slowly become more comfortable with that concept that this person, we're going to die. One day they might decide that this isn't for them. And I'm not saying that day won't hurt and it won't come with a lot of unique things that you need to navigate, but to love someone unconditionally, I think is to also begin to familiarize yourself with the concept that you don't own them. You don't need them. You want them. And anything that we want in our life, we should appreciate when we have it, while we have it, and nurture it for as long as we do have it. And, you know, I firmly believe that my wife and I are forever. Um, it's that soul level connection. The very first night I met her, I looked at her and I go, fuck, that's it. Like it's over. Um, so it's that real for me. But, I've also, you know, maybe it's unique around the last few years, my mental health work and just, you know, developing this better relationship with other losses that I've had, such as my father. And, you know, we didn't even bring it up, but, you know, two of my closest relationships and, you know, brothers that I call them brothers in the military that took their own lives, unfortunately, once they got out, you know, the better I've got at, you know, that relationship with loss, it's really given me a unique perspective to the loss that I could have one day with her, whether by 
accident, death, or her own choice, you know? And uh, I think it's something that has really oddly served my relationship in, in a way that you might not think, you know, how can it make my relationship better if I think about not having them or them being, you know, or us breaking up kind of thing. If you genuinely care about them, you want them in your life, you don't need them. And more importantly, you are committed to yourself and your journey. That will all be okay. It's just a interesting approach I've had to my relationship over the years that gives me this, this odd extra level of confidence and peace. Mm. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting thought because if a lot of people will jump at it straight away and like, you don't care about your wife, what do you mean? But at the same time, I think that you're coming from a place of saying, it's not a sense of reliance, it's mm -hmm. a sense of choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you step back and you recognize that it doesn't take the love away, but actually is, like you said, a endless and unconditional love because of ultimately you want the best for you and you want for the best for them through absolute everything, anything. And it doesn't mean you just said that you want to be with her forever and you truly believe that you will be. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of, like you said, internal peace that you can create by being okay with that. Like, I don't think a lot of people are there, but at the same time, life does happen in many challenging ways and you've experienced a lot of loss. So it makes sense that that's kind of the, approach that you've taken in terms of like okay i need to solidify myself because if this person is probably the most meaningful person in my life so what is my life going to look like if they do if anything ends up does happening to them you know god forbid and you know fingers crossed nothing ever happens like that but at the same time it's like better to be as you mentioned earlier you know that person prepared for that versus you know leaving yourself in a position where you're like well I can't go on without them. So I think that's a very, very strong note that we're finishing on. Yeah. And Chase, I would keep you here all day that's if I could, man. but I'm going to respect your time. And so I'm going to ask you a couple of final questions to wrap up. And the final Great. question I do have is what impact would you like to have on the world with the work that you do? I'll say two things. I would wish for everyone to be comfortable with feeling everything that they're feeling. When I trace back a lot of, things in my life that I struggled the most with that I felt maybe had a more obvious solution. It just wasn't obvious to me at the time. I, I would suppress feelings and emotions and I, I, I didn't really acknowledge that what I feel, where I feel it, why I feel it is there to teach me something. It's just a reactionary thing. It's, it's a negative thing. So I really wish that people could learn to just, sit with and be with their feelings and allow themselves to feel. Secondly, this kind of mantra I've adopted the last couple of years is that you are exactly where you are supposed to be. And it's one that we can look at when things are going well, when things are the complete opposite of going well. But if we choose that mindset, we've choose that I am right where I need to be. This moment, this amazing thing, this horrendous thing is happening for me, not to me. This is something that I need. Okay. I think it allows us to separate a little bit more from that thing and really get real and objective with our situation. And I think, you know, grow more, learn more and appreciate that moment 
in a way that maybe we haven't been able to before. I love that. I really do. It's been an amazing conversation, Chase, and I'm sure people are going to be heading straight to your podcast and straight to your social media profiles after this. So can you tell us where the best place? Come on over. I'll, I'll take them. Yeah. If uh, anything I've been talking about strikes a chord is all, you know, topics of conversation on Everford Radio. And and then, you know, really it's just your know, daily practices, daily daily trial and error on social media. Chase, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Elliot, my pleasure, man. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.